the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, November 3rd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 288. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take these shows Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to our big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Rowan. We're going to be joined in a little bit by Alan Jacoby, who's going to be guest hosting with me today. We've got a great slate of guests coming in as well. We're going to be sitting down with Virginia and Arizona representatives Bob Good and Eli Crane. We're also going to be sitting down with Dr. Ben Carson again. Very excited about that. And we'll touch base and do a little bit of the news with one of our favorite authors and attorneys, Miss Christina Bob. A lot of breaking news. The battle in the House seems to be over amongst Republicans, but it's just in time to start things up with the Senate and sets up a showdown between Chuck Schumer and new speaker Mike Johnson. We'll give you all the dirty details on that. President Trump rocked a campaign event down in Houston yesterday, flagged by some of his America First delegation of House representatives like Wesley Hunt. And the Biden regime's scrambling to put out more fires. Imagine that as James Comer and the investigative committee there on the Biden impeachment inquiries really start to heat up as we're starting to see just how 10% for the big guy went down. But before we get into any of the headlines, we're going to take it over to Capitol Hill and get started there today. So let's change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! All right, everybody, welcome to our big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Today, I'm Roan. Alan Jacoby is going to be joining me to do the guest hosting duties a little bit later. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast and getting things started today. We're up on Capitol Hill with the congressman representing Virginia's 5th congressional district. Of course, that means Congressman Bob Good is back with us. Welcome. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me again. Oh, boy. So, well, I'm glad we didn't get you like right in the end of the speaker battle. And, you know, obviously we're very pleased with Speaker Mike Johnson, how he's kind of hit the ground running. But the dust is settled and we know that you're going to give a more than fair assessment. So why don't you let our listenership know how the last maybe week and a half has been and, and why you guys have been getting a lot of stuff done for the American people since then? Well, I will honestly give credit where it is due. The, the hand of God was on the process. You know, we... Uh, you know, did our best to kind of screw this up. Uh, just kidding there. We, but uh, we were obviously incapable of making this decision for the country. No one person could choose the speaker. But I will tell you that a year ago, when we were first contemplating challenging uh, then leader McCarthy, prospective speaker McCarthy, we wanted someone like Mike Johnson. It wouldn't be accurate or honest to say, hey, we were targeting him all along. But he was one of those people that we talked about that we felt like was the humble servant leader, uh, was a person who was a genuine conservative, who had the respect and the stature, the credibility within the conference, and uh, who was just uh, trusted and respected from a integrity standpoint. You know, you think about what you want most in a leader. You want somebody who's honest, somebody you can trust, and uh, who who hasn't been seeking this all of his life. Uh, he's a humble servant leader that truly answered the call. So, uh, as we work through the process, and, and you know, I know you you've had my friend Eli Crane on. As he and our colleagues, as we worked through the process uh, after the uh, motion to vacate to select a speaker, uh, you know, we, we had to work through, of course, at first kind of the next in line or the second person in line. And we wanted to really have a contest 
for speaker, to have you know, sort of the first almost national speaker election where the people's representatives were hearing from their constituents. They were in our ear saying, hey, we want this person. We don't want that person. And we were out in front of the whole country voting on the House floor, uh, going into conference, getting reports back out on the different candidates. And there was, you know, what, about 15 candidates or so that threw their hat in the ring as we worked through it. And we're just really thankful that we ended on Mike Johnson. Uh, it was a great day when he was unanimously voted out of the conference, when he was unanimously voted on the House floor. I think the Republican conference, 221 of us are more united. You, the tough things you go through in life are not the things you want to repeat. They're not the things that you enjoy, but they're things that are valuable to you because they stretch you, they grow you, they make you stronger. You're better for having went through it. And we are as a Republican conference, we are as a house majority, we are as a, an entire Congress and the American people are better off for what we went through. And you'll have members tell you across the, the ideological spectrum within the Republican party, we are more united, more optimistic, more hopeful, uh, than we've been, and, and they'll tell me in decades, and I've just been there for three years, but I've had members who've been there 20 years tell me that very same thing. Yeah, that's pretty wild, you know, and, and, and when you see the people that were very reluctant to, uh, you know, be either participating in the change or what change might look like coming out of that, you know, changing of the power for the speaker gavel, you've seen some of the long-standing House representatives uh, say that they're not going to run for re-election in the, in, in the last week, and uh, I think it opens up the doors to a lot of things, definitely padding the stats, hopefully, in the upcoming 2024 election when you talk about getting more America First people into the House of Representatives who are going to vote on behalf of their constituents instead of getting all angry when their constituents email and call them all the time because they're not doing that. I, I think That's that right. it, it just says a lot for the process. And, you know, I have to give credit where credit's due. I know you do a lot of uh, events outside of Congress with uh, Florida Representative Matt Gates. He's been on the show a couple of times. We love having him on as well. But, you know, he was going on, on X formerly Twitter and doing a lot of, uh, right. hey, I just want to let you guys know, you know, I know we got Jim Jordan and Byron Donalds and all these good people running. Keep Mike Johnson's name in like the back pocket right mm -hmm. here. It's it's something that a couple weeks down the road you you might be thanking us for, and lo and behold, it kind of worked out. So now let, let's move on to uh, some of the work that the American people definitely want to see the House of Representatives getting to. I think the big three right now is how the funding is going to be you know served up. Obviously, you guys passed the Israeli aid funding last night, taking money from the ones that was already being divvied up for the IRS. There's also Ukraine funding coming down the road and border security. How are you guys looking to address all of those in a satisfactory way when, you know, and, and we'll get to the border security one last because I want to ask you a follow-up question on that one already. But when you're talking about the international aid funding for places that are currently, you know, incurring war, uh, how do you guys look to tackle this in the most America first way possible? You cannot overstate the importance of what we did with Israel couple of really big things that happened there that are really unprecedented in recent years anyway. Number one, the president sends us, as you know, he says, hey, I want y'all to pass a $106 billion package. Hey, in order to support Israel, somehow that's got to be connected to Ukraine. It's got to be connected to some ill-defined humanitarian exist, uh, assistance, some disaster assistance. It's got to be you know, tied to uh, billions of dollars more to not secure the border, billions of dollars more to help more illegals more quickly enter our country. And so you got to take 90 billion that has nothing to do with Israel in order to support Israel. So the first critically important thing that Speaker Johnson did, and we did it together, of course, but he is a leader, was we separated out the 14 billion. As you know, one of the many things wrong with Congress and how we operate, how we get to 33 trillion dollars in debt, is you put all this stuff together and you, you got to vote for the parts you don't like in order to get the little part that you do like, and you hold one part hijacked uh, to hostage, rather, uh, in, in order to get that, you got to choke down this other stuff that's bad. So frankly, just separating it was a big deal, but that wasn't enough. 
Secondly, uh, we require that it have pay force, that it have offsets, that it have cuts, which doesn't happen with supplemental emergency type spending. Oh, you just add that on. We just tack that on. And there's, oh, this is so political that you're making this partisan because you don't want to borrow from our kids and our grandkids and further exacerbate our unsustainable debt situation to do something that we most of us wanted to do, which is support Israel. So that was a big deal to make it pay for. And then thirdly, because we did that, and because we tied it to where an indefensible position for the Democrats to defend, no, we can't support Israel because it means we have to cut spending for the IRS. As you know, as you noted last year, Biden plussing up $80 billion for the IRS mm. to hire 87,000 more agents to harass, threaten, intimidate more Americans, to extort more of our tax money, to go after us, treat us all like tax cheats. Uh, that's an unsustainable position for the Democrats to defend that. And that's why it became a bipartisan bill when 12 Democrats joined almost all Republicans in voting for it. And I think that puts tremendous pressure on the Senate uh, to, to have to pass it, even though they don't want to, because it's bipartisan now. And while the president has threatened to veto it, I think he'll have to sign it if it comes through the Senate. So just having that practice, that muscle memory for future spending that comes to us, that we're not going to package together stuff that doesn't have to do with one another, uh, try to buy votes or for votes, for, force votes that way. We ought to all have standalone votes on every issue so our constituents and the American people can see where we stand, where we don't hide a Ukraine vote. Oh, I had to vote for Ukraine because I like Israel. Or you hide a, uh, you know, that you wouldn't have voted for disaster relief, but you're going to do that because of Ukraine or for Israel. Or we pretend that it's border security instead of voting down billions of dollars more for Secretary Mike Orkus and the Department of Homeland insecurity mm. to continue to stick it to the country. So a big deal. And we're going to do that going forward. And Speaker Johnson is, a, again, he's a person of integrity, but he's a genuine conservative who will be a partner in doing the things the American people elected us to do instead of an obstacle as the previous speaker was. Oh, those are some excellent points. All right, Congressman, we know you got a hard out, but we really appreciate the fact that you jumped in with us today to get things started on the show, our Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today, but for anyone that wants to check you out on social media, where can they find you? At Rep. Bob Good. Uh, certainly they can go to bobgoodforcongress.com and, and at good.house.gov. So just to follow up, uh, you stress the need to be able to pay for the Israel funding. As you know, President Biden has issued a veto threat on this bill. Would you consider putting a bill on the floor that includes funding for Israel, but does not have spending cuts, or is that a non-starter? No, listen, we, we are in dire straits <laughs> as a nation, and if you talk to leaders at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Pentagon, sometimes even in recent years under oath, they've testified before the House Armed Services Committee, where I served until uh, last week. Um, if you ask them what the greatest threat is to our national security, you would expect, most people expect they'd say China, Russia, Iran, terrorism. They say it's the national debt. We have to address it. We, we have obligations and we have commitments and we want to protect our, our, and help and assist our friend uh, Israel, but we have to keep our own house in order as well. And I think people at home, I think the American people understand that. At home, you have to balance your budget. At home, you have to make tough decisions. And Washington should run the same way. And so we are here to change the environment, to change the paradigm, the way Washington thinks. If we continue on the trajectory we're on, it's going to hurt our country terribly. And it's going to hurt hardworking Americans even more, seniors and the rest. So we have to, while we take care of obligations, we've got to do it in a responsible manner. So 
I've made this very clear to the president, myself, in our in our cordial meeting that we had. I've made it very clear to our colleagues, House Republicans. I spoke at their, I mean, uh, Senate Republicans. I spoke at their luncheon yesterday. Um, I've, to every cabinet official I've spoken to, all the way down the line, that we're going to do this in a responsible manner, and that's that's a very important principle for us. Mr. Well, I like the way that uh, Mike Johnson's hit the ground running, much like our show today. I'm Roan. Noah's still out of the office. He's got you know advanced forklift training or whatever it is he does. Uh, when he's summoned to do so, but joining us is the CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, also the host of MAGA Mornings on Rumble. Mr. Alan Jacoby is in to do the news with us today as well. Alan, welcome. Hello, everybody. Hello, Rome. Thanks for having me. How's things going in uh, Cigarland? Things in Cigarland are going well. Selling out. Great, great Patriot supporters out there. It is going great. Use promo code STEAK for 25% off MyPatriotCigars.com. We'll start it right off. I like that, and I like the uh, free selfless plug as well. All it does is help out Alan grow his business, which is exploding uh, as far as I'm concerned. Not like exploding cigars, but exploding in general. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're glad to have you today, Alan. You know, uh, you hear Speaker Johnson and, and the way he's kind of navigated through these issues that previous speakers have had due to backroom dealings and influences from lobby groups. And it sounds like he's going to be kind of no nonsense about it when it comes to the federal budget. What do you think? Agreed. And I'm all about the single spending bills and just gutting everything and making the uh, members of Congress uh, vote on the hard issues and not just bunch everything together in these large spending bills. But of course, the Biden regime does not want that. No, they certainly don't. Well, it's it's sad because even Senate Republicans don't want it as well. I, I do have to give a couple tidbits here. You know, Chuck Schumer, we'll get to him in a second. But they, before that press conference yesterday, Speaker Johnson had a closed-door private meeting for nearly an hour with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. And, uh, you know, from some of the reports that have come out uh, from congressional staffers, they're saying that McConnell kept quiet when Speaker Johnson met with Senate Republicans and had no combining Ukraine-Israel funding together. But McConnell had his own private 45 minute meeting with new speaker right before that, according to a person familiar. So it sounded like regardless of what they talked to behind closed doors, Speaker Johnson came out and said, well, this is what I told you I was going to do. And surprise, I'm doing it. I so, like that he's doing what he is, uh, is is saying, you know, it's and again, listen, he can be held accountable too. I, I say let him cook and, and it's, it's early on, but I'm liking things that are happening um, so far. It's good that you mentioned cooking because that's exactly what Chuck Schumer was doing yesterday. Following his press conference, Chuck Schumer issued a statement via his personal ex-formerly Twitter account, and this is what it says. Let me be clear. The Senate will not take up the House GOP's deeply flawed proposal. Instead, we will work our own bipartisan emergency aid package that includes funding for aid to Israel, Ukraine, humanitarian aid, including to and for Gaza, and competition with the Chinese government whatever that means. So they're just going to keep passing the ball to each other until one of them takes a knee to the other and figures out how they're going to do all of this funding. Mm -hmm. uh, another outlet that was reporting on the situation said yesterday that Speaker Johnson's aid package is DOA in the Senate. That's 100% not true. Uh, this person would go on to uh, allude and say that he could have jammed the Senate, but he didn't. The senators are skeptical of a clear January 5th CR as well. That would be a CR from November 18th all the way up through January 15th. So everybody could go home for happy holidays, but may take it. He's floating weird ideas. And they're talking about speaker Johnson now like laddered CRs, which would spark a rolling shutdown threat. Ukraine aid is at the mercy of a border package, a third rail of Hill politics. 
On every single issue Congress faces, Mike Johnson finds himself battling not only the White House and Senate Democrats, but the Senate GOP minority leader as well. So that's kind of what we were touching on right there. And according to everybody that we've talked to, it looks like Speaker Johnson is in this for the right reasons and he's up to the fight. I think so. I think so. Uh, you know, they got to get this this spending figured out. I, you know, on a personal level, I just wish we weren't giving anybody any money, but it's just not going to happen. You know, Israel will get funded. Uh, Ukraine, I, I just, I want accountability on the money we've already sent there. I want accountability on the assets we've already sent there, the weapons, everything. And I just don't feel confident that we will ever get it. And it's a shame because the American people deserve that transparency. And it just goes to show again, the Biden regime is not about transparency over and over again. They show that. Where, where do we where do we go from here? Where are we getting this money from? Where are we cutting from? It's um, it's just it, it's a mess. Well, the bill that was passed yesterday for Israeli aid included the votes of 12 Democrats, which makes it technically bipartisan. Also yes. puts pressure on Senate Democrats to get that aid out to Israel as well. And does include the fine print, which says the exact amount of money, $14.6 billion, that is going to be sent to Israel will be taken away from the money that was funded for the IRS next year. I saw that Speaker Johnson was on with Larry Kujo this morning and uh, wanted to play a little bit of an update almost in real time. Let's check it out. And everybody's, I mean, even uh, Mayorkas of DHS virtually agreed that potential terrorists are crossing the border. Chinese yep. nationalists are crossing the border. Uh, as well as all the illegals in the catch and release. I mean, I would think we need a full national conversation about that and a total change in policy. Yeah, and, and of course, Larry, all of that was completely foreseeable. When they opened up the border under Mayorkas' direction and President Biden himself, they allowed for this this serious situation that we have. And now the FBI has, has said, Director Ray said just a few days ago, that they, they suspect there might even be terrorist cells. Uh, they're setting up and planning only only God knows uh, against American citizens. So we're to be on alert. Well, yeah, of course, when you keep the border open and you allow dangerous people to come in, you open yourselves up for that kind of chaos. We've been, we've been working with everything we have for the last nearly three years to get that border closed and secured, and they've ignored us until now. We're going to force the issue, and I think the American people want us to do that. And I think they want them to as well. And, you know, what, what he's alluding to there is the fact that Joe Biden wants to tie things like Hawaii aid, and Israel funding and stuff for the Ukraine all into one package where Speaker Johnson has now decoupled those. And what he's going to do is send Israel standalone, defund $14 billion from the IRS, have a new package all set up for Ukraine and attach border security to it. So he's going to kind of play the Uno reverse card on Joe Biden and make, uh, you know, people in the Senate either completely reject it or vote on it and so you get some receipts so i think it's a pretty good angle that he's taking as far as that goes i do too i like that the border security attached to the ukraine aid uh, to, to force them a little bit that they want to secure our border i would like i would hope that in that bill there is also some you know provisions on uh again accountability and inspector general audits uh just uh, of an uh, audit of every cent that we're sending uh to ukraine and you know i'm i'm fine with doing that we're the border money as well. They should do it with every cent that is spent. And, you know, just as we're as we're on here, you know, Donald Trump put a truth out earlier in, in reference to the southern border, literally said our country is under the highest level of threat ever, which is true with the southern border and all the nationals and terrorist cells that are pouring into this country, uh, settling anywhere they want and moving about anywhere they want. Yep. 
And yet all the DOJ and FBI and the Biden regime tied together want to do is go after Donald Trump, you know, and his family. Well, of course, important things, right? Priorities. Yes. Priorities. We'll be touching on Donald Trump's big rally down in Houston yesterday in our next segment. And just want to remind everybody we have Arizona Congressman Eli Crane coming in just a bit. Uh, before they voted and passed on the resolution to fund the Israel side of the conflict there, uh, John Kirby was asked in the White House press pool yesterday just exactly what the White House's position would be on a standalone bill. Obviously, that's changed, but let's hear his response. Thanks, Kirby. Um, the vice president was over in London and said that if Israel and Ukraine aid were bifurcated, that the president would veto it. Uh, we, you know, you over the last couple of days have explained that you would veto something with offsets, especially involving the IRS. But I wanted to be clear if the president was except was presented with a clean Israel uh, funding bill without Ukraine, he would veto that as well. The president believes that the supplemental requests that we submitted contains four really critical national security urgent needs. Israel, Ukraine, uh, our Indo-Pacific resourcing, particularly when it comes to manufacturing of submarines, uh, and of course, border security. All four are important. And the whole idea of an urgent supplemental is you're submitting what you think are urgent requests, and the president wants to see all of them honored, all of them acted on by Congress, all of them together. We wouldn't have submitted it that way if we didn't believe that they all weren't important and should be acted on together. Obviously, you guys want to see them all four together, but uh, lawmakers are trying to figure out right now how to kind of negotiate through this, and yeah. it seems to be it's sort of an unclear signal from the administration. So was the vice president correct? He would veto an Israel-only bill if it didn't have other issues that you were concerned about. The president would veto an only Israel oh. bill. We, I think that we've made that clear. And again, Ridiculous. yeah, th that stance obviously is changing in real time as I'm sure John Kirby and, and the Biden White House didn't expect 12 Democrats to vote for that Israeli aid with defunding the IRS attached to it. But here we are. Now it's, you know, a lot of talking points before the vote happened yesterday, and now it's been relatively quiet up on Capitol Hill where today is a travel day after they're out of meetings and stuff like that. A lot of people are going to be going home in district for the weekend. So, you know, that's kind of the update on the House. I think having two congressmen in um, on back ends to start the show today is a great way to kind of get all encompassing of it. But I do want to kind of move to the upper chamber and talk about something that we've been focused on for the last, you know, week or so here and through its entirety over the last couple months in the U S Senate. And that's what's been going on with Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville. You know, we had him on the show on Tuesday. I thought it was a great segment. He kind of went through the whole, what his process was for holding the line on his pro-life values. And we can't commend him enough for being someone who actually campaigned on something that he believed in in real life and decided to hold the line on once he got to the U.S. Senate. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at the unconstitutional nature that Joe Biden changed these policies, which were technically law, um, and that was via memo, as Senator Tuberville explained, you know, it, it leads those to believe, you know, that he's in the wrong for not approving these military promotions, that he's hurting military readiness and strategic readiness and all this other bullshit. But it's it's nothing further from the case. You know, the people that this affects are, are not out in the field. They're behind desks. And uh, they just don't get to yell at more people via their promotions until Senator Tuberville gets these guys voted in. And that won't happen unless, number one, they remove the memo, therefore 
reinstating the policies which were law or vote on each person standalone so that the Republicans can get Democrat votes on who thinks funding abortions is more important than military readiness. And, uh, Alan, I know you've seen this kind of shaken down and, and, and the way it's going. You know, J.D. Vance, we'll touch on him. He's also taken another stance that's gumming up uh, Department of Justice promotions and hires as well, but we'll, we'll focus on that a little bit later in the show. But sticking with what's going on with Senator Tuberville here, what do you think as you saw this kind of play out this week? I think it's great is what he's doing, and it just goes to show again that there are people in both the House and the Senate that are willing to take action and not allow business as usual, but also to keep true to their convictions that they have run on and actually not flip-flopping and changing and taking a knee to the establishment and the status quo and, and keeping that stance in their actual beliefs now that they took the oath of office to defend the Constitution and represent us, which you know a lot of them violate anyway. But it, it is nice to see that he's doing that. And of course, people like you, you had mentioned saying that he's holding up military readiness, which we all know is bullshit, complete, complete. Uh, it's 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 a breath of fresh air knowing that, you know, what they want to call a chaos and I want to call it accountability. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important. It's important. And we need more people like that to step up and and do those things and not sit there and in tow and lockstep like the Democrats often do. Uh, we need movers and shakers and we need to shake the trees of uh, Congress big time. Oh, I like it. You know, uh, and, and there was a group, I believe, of four or five senators on the Republican side who decided to stab Tommy Tuberville in the back instead of standing in unison with him. Um, we're going to play a couple clips here. First one's from Senator Dan Sullivan. He sits on the House Armed Services Subcommittee. He's also a veteran. And uh, I guess you guys will just have to hear it before we get into it. I got a good one from uh, a statement from Mike Lee as well. Let's check it out. We all know there are current holds on our military. I want the American people to know right now 376 promotions to one, two, three, and four-star generals and admirals are being held. It is estimated by the end of this year, 89% of all general officer positions in the United States military will be affected by the current holds from Senator Tuberville. Either they, our members have to be forced to retire, positions Uh-oh. not filled, an acting capacity, will be unable to retire. This is pretty much the entire officer corps. Uh-oh. This is hugely disruptive to readiness, Mr. Chairman. Uh-oh. Couple examples, 288 one and two star generals being held. These are the men and women who run the military right now. We're gonna talk about other places, the first Marine Expeditionary Force, third Marine Expeditionary Force. These are the war fighting organizations of the Marine Corps, the seventh fleet, which is our fighting naval force in the Taiwan Strait, Fifth Fleet, fighting naval force in the Middle East. It goes on and on. NATO chairman, deputy chairman, three-star job, empty. Deputy U.S. CENTCOM commander, empty. The head of the Navy nuclear program, the head of missile defense, all non-confirmed. We have a big challenge, Mr. President, right now. All right. So this is again, I'm going to I'm going to drop it. This is such bullshit because anyone in any type of military uh, branch or just even you can take law enforcement, they they, they neglect to use the word chain of command. All of these people 
that are due their big promotions, these one and two star generals or whatever they are prior to getting promoted to the one and two star generals. They're making it seem like to the American people that without these people, all military operations cease to exist. They stop. Nobody knows what to do. There's a chain of command. So when that top position is empty, someone will be appointed acting until somebody's confirmed. There's always a rank below that is now going to be in charge if the rank above is vacant or an acting position is not put in. So whether you go go low, go to a corporal and a sergeant and a lieutenant and a captain and a major and a lieutenant all the way up to the generals. There's always someone in charge. And that, that is it's they're liars that it, it, there is nothing there that would hold up military operations. The military operations would not cease uh, to exist without these morons who are getting ready to be promoted, which most of them are political hacks anyway at that point, if they're being promoted by the Senate. Sure. It, like enough already. Just why can't we see what each we. OK, so that our military commanders that we that are running the military, we want to know what they're about. Mm. We want to know what their ethics are. We want to know what they what their history is. We want to know about them. And we should. We definitely should. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're subscribed to the show. Make sure it's downloading on whatever device you choose. It helps us out in the top 100. Obviously, rate the show five stars and leave a review. Then social media is Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast accounts and hit the notification bell. I want to remind everybody that the only way to defeat the mainstream media and break through the paywall sites is to subscribe to the Steak for Breakfast podcast where all of our content always will be 100% free. Um, You know, I saw a statement from Mike Lee yesterday on X, formerly Twitter, and this is how it reads. Senator Tommy Tuberville is not the problem. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin created this mess by enacting the memo that Joe Biden wrote to circumvent something that was voted on in the Senate and made into law. It's disappointing that several Senate Republicans have chosen to blame Senator Tuberville rather than Lloyd Austin. Even more disappointing, some of them leaked staff emails or aired publicly private conversations between them. So, you know, it's just really disgusting to see that some of these people, but then when you look at the ones, I mean, Senator Mitt Romney, and then who we're going to hear from in just a sec here, the real life, Mr. Garrison, (laughs) South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. Let's hear what he had to say. Pentagon has issued a legal opinion I disagree with, saying this doesn't violate the Hyde Amendment. I disagree with it. Here's what's going to happen. You've just denied this lady a promotion. You did that. All of us are ready to promote her because she deserves to be promoted. She had nothing to do with this policy. Let me say it again. Everybody in this body could find an issue with any administration they don't agree with. And what we're going to do is open up Pandora's box. Today is abortion policy. If we take back the White House, we'll go back to the Mexico City policy, limiting dollars to be given to overseas entities that are engaged in the abortion business. Some pro-choice people don't like that. What would happen if they put a hold on all the officers because they don't agree with the Republican administration? There's a reason this, this has not been done this way for a couple hundred years. 
No matter where you believe it or not, Senator Turbeville, this is doing great damage to our military. Oh, I don't say that lightly. Timbers. I've been trying to work with you for nine months. Folks, if this keeps going, people are going to leave. Let me tell you how the system works. You have 18 months, I think, from the time you're promoted to pin on. And if you don't make that gate, your time and grade up or out rule kicks in. There's some people that are waiting to be promoted that if they don't get promoted soon, they're going to be out of the military. Now, how does that help anybody if they're qualified? There's not one senator in here that could not find a reason to object to an administration policy. And obviously, you know, after hearing that, who was the mastermind behind this public display of backstabbingness? It's just really sad to see, you know, and, and it's pretty funny after the Roe v. Wade and Dobbs case were overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, you had Lindsey Graham going on every television channel yep. that would take him talking for a nationwide abortion. Uh, yeah, what kind of moron is ban. this? You literally give it back to the states, and now you want you want to you want a, an abor a federal abortion ban? Like, what's wrong with this guy? And now he's stumping for the military industrial complex, saying like, <laughs> "My my dollars are getting affected here." You know, we, come on, Senator Tuberville, move it along. It's unbelievable. Lady G, the same guy. Yeah, he, he wants to go bomb Iranian oil fields. They should take all of the transgenders and draft them and put Lady G in like a, an, a, a pink general uh, suit and go have them charge into the I Iranian oil field as the furry force. I mean, what, this guy's a joke. Yeah. And, and he thinks people, you know, no longer have memories. And <laughs> listen, for his bad as he's publicly booed, especially when he shows up on stage with President Trump, I would not be trying to play both sides of the coin like he's playing now. But again, his, his probably stock portfolio is so robust, he doesn't even care. All he's got is Mr. Garrison bucks there. <laughs> you know, what I was just going to say, because you mentioned about you know, people forgetting and he gets booed. I think Donald Trump now trolls Lindsey Graham so hard that yep. he, he purposely says, good things about Lindsey Graham at rallies and events so he can hear the people yep. boo Lindsey Graham. And then I think he as, loves that. As soon as he boos, he says, well, you know, I got to bring him along for the Democrat voters, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is even worse. I it, know. It's, uh, it, it's just funny to hear. We got one more before we jump in with Arizona Representative Eli Crane. I mean, we talked about it on our Tuesday edition of the show. Obviously, CNN broke with a hit piece on Senator Tuberville a day before you saw the five Senate Republicans come out and backstab him. And this was saying that the acting commandant of the U.S. Marines suffered a heart attack, and they essentially blamed his desk job and all of his personal life choices on Senator Tuberville for not promoting him. He was caught outside of the Senate chamber yesterday after all this bullshit had gone down, and, and again, after uh, Senate Republicans huddled trying to find some kind of a way around this issue. And after having him on the show on Tuesday, I know he doesn't give a shit what people think or, or say about him because he's doing exactly what his constituents from Alabama, sent him up to the hill to do. Let's hear Coach Tuberville. All the people are doing multiple jobs. Some of these military personnel, even the Marine Corps Commandant, was doing two jobs. Why, why aren't you? Marine Corps Commandant probably got 2,000 people to work for him, okay? So, uh, and somebody said he's working 18 hours a day. Jack Reed blamed me for his heart attack. Come on, give me a break. This guy's going to work 18, 20 hours a day no matter what. That's what we do. You know, I did that for years because you got to get the job done and you take it, but you try to do everything yourself. So uh, we're not going to go down that road. Sir, One was there, was there any briefing vote. this morning? We saw some individuals. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic response. You think I'm the reason this guy had a heart attack? Get the F out of here. 
I love it. No, he, I love it. He's tough, and you want to know what? I, I honestly hope he, he was, well, I know he tells the truth and, and it seems pretty honest. He'll be back on the show at some point, and, you know, hopefully it's once this disastrous black eye on the Senate is resolved and, you know, they start voting on these these promotions, you know, whatever, three, 400 of them, start doing them standalone so you get those receipts. I mean, we're heading into an election year with a Republican favorable Senate map. So do you want to just keep pushing the, you know, the rock down this road? Eventually we're going to get to the cliff, and uh, all it's going to do is make our Senate majority in the Republican side bigger next year. And, and we'll be seeing people like loser Mitt Romney getting out of there and, and, you know, Lindsey Graham happy that Donald Trump's making the military great again because all he does is care about is Lindsey Bucks. So... Guys, we're going to be jumping in with Congressman Eli Crane right now. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, today's big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the congressman who currently represents Arizona's 2nd Congressional District. Always excited to be sitting down with Congressman Eli Crane. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Man, you guys have had a busy couple weeks up there. We had a bunch of your awesome congressional counterparts in over the last couple episodes. We opened up the show today with Representative Bob Good, and uh, we've had Clyde, Klein, Rosendale, whole bunch of them have come in and, and kind of took us through the speaker battle, but now the dust is settled and, and we're a little over a week out. And, and now that you see the house is getting back to work, I think in pretty decent pace and fashion, I wanted to get some commentary on you on how you think things are going up to this point, you know, just regarding some of the legislation we saw energy and water got passed. And now, you know, you guys voted to pass a resolution on Israel funding, which I thought was awesome as well. You can, you know, give our listenership the full scoop on that. But uh, now that, now that everybody's kind of settling in, how you feel things are going right now? I feel things are going good. And, uh, you know, I do want to go back and talk about, you know, um, you know, motion, the motion to vacate Go ahead. Um, that I was a part of with uh, seven other people. And, uh, you know, my message is this um, change is never comfortable. It's often very painful, especially when you've got, uh, you know, multiple decades worth of, uh, status quo, um, corruption, um, and, and quite frankly, arrogance. And, uh, you know, that's what I told, that's what I campaigned on is changing the way this town works. And oftentimes you can't change the way anything works. Um, if, if you don't have leadership that's, uh, on board with that and leadership that's resistant to change. And so, you know, I am regardless of, you know, how people want to characterize it and make it sound like it's uh, chaotic. I, I think that this federal government is very often chaotic. And just the way that we we continue to spend money we don't have, we don't, we rarely represent the American people. And so, you know, I'm proud of uh, what myself and the, the other folks did and um, ousting Kevin McCarthy. And I think that the American people got an upgrade, honestly. And I think uh, you're already seeing a change. Just like if you look at the Israel, you know, uh, supplemental or aid bill, whatever you want to call it, when you look at when you look at how that he, he made that a standalone bill and then he paid for it by taking money away from the IRS, 
I mean, my God, you, you never see stuff like that up here. And that's what many of us were fighting for because we know that we can't keep going the same way that we're going as a country. We know we need individuals in leadership that aren't bought and paid for. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's what Mike Johnson is. I mean, he's got a very tough job ahead of him. Um, I know, you know, he he's not always going to be able to do everything that, you know, I'd like to see him do. Um, but that being said, um, I'm going to keep him in my prayers. And I think the American people and our conference are in a better place now because of it. No, we agree. And, you know, that we've had so many people come on even, uh, you know, as of today who are just talking about Mike Johnson's character and, and how he's a God-driven man who's going to bring more of a servant leadership role, doesn't necessarily need or want the spotlight. He wants everybody to be participating and not only representing the job that he's doing as Speaker of the House, but representing their district is is something that you alluded to right there. And then, you know, ever since uh, he's gotten the gavel, I've seen so much more inclusiveness uh, you know, as far as the Republican House galvanizing themselves there. And and I think it's something that we haven't seen in a while. There's always people who are going to be detracted, and I'm sure there still is maybe behind closed doors, but it seems like after Speaker Johnson was able to meet with leadership in the Senate on both sides of the aisle and then take it over to the White House and talk to not only Joe Biden, but, you know, members of the Department of Defense and the intelligence agencies, it seems like he's pretty much already alluded to the fact that as far as the ridiculous spending goes, the party's over. Yeah, you know, and I, I definitely feel a, a change of pace, a different energy. I know I'm not the only one, uh, you know, that feels that way. Uh, we continue to pass our appropriations bills, which I think is so important, um, even though the American people might not fully get it. But at the end of the day, when you're $33 trillion in debt and you have a $2 trillion annual national deficit, the, really the only way to turn that around is to break the fever, as my colleague Matt Gates Gates says, and quit voting, um, you know, for government spending in up or down votes once or twice a year and continuing resolutions and omnibuses and actually go through the 12 appropriations bills. I mean, the easiest way to describe it is, you know, you and your wife, you and your or you and your spouse, you know, are in financial trouble. You have to get on a budget, you know, and you go through, you know, you say, OK, these are the 12 things we spend money on restaurants you know, auto insurance, you know, our kids' school, et cetera. And, and you you set a top line number and you work backwards from, from there. And then you go line item through line item through your budget. And that's what we're doing right now. And for everybody that keeps saying that it's it's all chaos in the House, we've passed seven of our appropriations bills and the Senate's only passed three. Yep. So I reject that notion. And uh, I actually think that, you know, we're we're getting stuff done over here. Yeah, you guys have been able to crank out a couple of appropriations bills in just a little over a week where it took, you know, the McCarthy-led House uh, over 10 months just to get four done. And those were four of the easiest ones, national security. Because it's because, Ron, it's because they didn't want to do them. Yep. They don't want to do them. And I'll tell you why they don't want to do them, because it's so much easier to pay off the lobbyists and the special interest groups with, with the CRs and the omnibuses. And quite frankly, it makes it easier for a lot of um you know, establishment Republicans to go back to their district and not have to take any of these tough votes. And they can say, oh, yeah, I know you're upset that I voted for that, you know, um, that woke and weaponized, you know, you know, amendment or whatever it was. But it was it was with it was in an omnibus where we funded our troops. So I had to vote for it. Right now, the way that we're breaking these things up, actually doing the appropriations bills and each one of them probably has 60 or 70 amendments. Um, that we're voting on, 
the American people and the constituents back home get to see where their representatives are voting on these individual specific um, amendments and issues. And I I think it's great as far as from a transparency standpoint and the American people now get to see where their representatives stand. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, it certainly is. Alan, were you going to add something there? Just that, you know, as speaking as an American voter and going back to the congressman's point about being one of the eight members that the motion to vacate, it needed to be done because people like me, and I think I speak for a lot of the American people, we're tired of business as usual and we yeah. need action and we need we needed the house broken up. And you, you mentioned chaos. There's good chaos and bad chaos. Sure. And I think when they're all talking about the chaos of the motion to vacate and, and the Republican House and chaos, to me, it's good chaos because with chaos, it, it brings accountability to these things. And what you're doing in breaking up these bills and making people vote on the hard issues and showing what they're really made of with, you know, who's establishment and who's not. It's really important for that. I'll say and you don't represent me, Congressman. I, I thank you for that as an American voter, because uh, it, it needed to be done. And you guys did it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, brother. And we do. We hear you guys. It's something that we talk about all the time. And here's the other thing that that motion to vacate does. It sets a precedent. Yep. It sets a precedent for the next leader and the next leader and the next leader because that had never been done before. And now all of these speakers and whoever steps into that role knows that, you know, there is a precedent for this. It has been done before. And, you know, for, for the current for the current speakers and, and others, you know, many of the many of the folks that participated in that motion to vacate um, are still here. And we're still watching. And, you know, though we're all you know excited about Speaker Johnson, um, you know, just because the speaker changed, our principles don't change. And so I think it's an important precedent. I'm glad it was done. I'm glad I was a part of it. And I'm glad the American people in this conference, you know, is now under new leadership. You made great history, Congressman. You were part of it. Thank you, guys. Certainly Thank did. You guys. Congressman, biggest thing I want to touch on with you, you know, the American people are, are pretty fed up with the way that it's been ran for so many decades, and, and you guys have definitely blown up that and implemented change. I think moving forward, this is probably going to be the best thing for the Republican Party to finish strong in the 118th session as we head into a general election year where we're going to have a president uh, at the top of the ticket. But here's the thing. Short term, and I, I use that as a double entendre, there's only so many days in the month. We're running up on that November 17th continuing resolution we are probably going to have to band-aid one you know just to be able to finish appropriations the thing is though i've heard that people are saying that this is going to be not like the three-month one through the holidays so everybody just gets to go back and kick their feet up and not work this is going to be maybe one even as short as 10 days to kind of urge everybody to get this done you know ahead of the christmas holiday and things of that nature when you see you know the volume back and forth and probably the negotiations on on just what is the best for the american people right now which it seems like mike johnson wants to do how do you feel about this i mean i know we were all sick of the crs and definitely no on the omnibuses, but getting the appropriations done as fast as possible seems like the most prudent way to ever avoid having that omnibus sent down from Chuck Schumer in the Senate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you're right on the money and just looking at a short-term forecast. I can tell you, I just came from a meeting right now where we're looking at how to skin this cat. Um, what I can tell you is uh, the strategy that at least the conservatives are looking at is, uh, you know, an out, outside the box uh, strategy. Um, and I can't really disclose all of it sure. right here, um, you know, for for obvious reasons. If something comes from us, there's a good chance that it will uh, receive serious opposition. Uh, but we are gonna we are gonna do everything that we can to take 
uh, you know, numerous, very small bites of this apple instead of, you know, um, doing what often gets done here where the pressure gets completely released um, in these, you know, massive CRs and these omnibuses um, and takes the pressure off the Senate, you know, and the and the president to actually get the work done of the American people. So um, we'll stay tuned for that. I know that we're, you know, some of our guys are talking to some of the more moderate members of the conference um, uh, today and as we speak, and we're trying to coalesce um, and come up with a plan um, so that we can, uh, you know, continue to do the work that we need to do. That's absolutely fantastic and great to hear. I, I know exactly where you're going with that, and I think our listenership knows and will appreciate that too. Congressman, we're going to get you out of here. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website in the show description today, but for anyone that's not following you, maybe on social media wants to check out all the great work you're doing, not only for Arizona too, but obviously for the entirety of the American people. Where can they check you out? Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Rep Eli Crane, appreciate you uh, letting me come on. Thank no. you. Listen, always open invitation. Your staff knows all they got to do is is reach out and we'll get you on the show that day or anytime we get to sit down and talk and have a great conversation with Arizona's second representative right here, Congressman Eli Crane. Thanks for jumping on and have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. How does it how do they how do you unite behind decisions, complicated decisions with such a thin margin? What about your own role? Yeah, well, I have decided, uh, Andrea, I'm not going to seek re-election. Oh, you I, too. Yeah, I am uh, joining Kay and, and probably some others in, in the near future, but uh, I've decided that uh, it is time for me to do some other things. I I'm, uh, always have been disappointed with the, our inability uh, in Congress to deal with major issues, and I'm also disappointed that the Republican Party continues to uh, you know, rely on this lie that the 2020 election was stolen and, oh. and rely oh. on the uh, January 6th narrative and, and the political prisoners from January 6th and other things. It's If we're going to solve difficult problems, we've got to deal with some very unpleasant truths uh, or lies and, and make sure that we uh, we project to the public uh, what the truth is. Well, let me All right, jumping back into the news now, we're going to be talking about President Trump, who had a big rally yesterday out in the Houston area. It was great catching up with Congressman Eli Crane as well. And we're going to be jumping in with Dr. Ben Carson in just a bit. Before we get started on the Trump rally, though, everyone already knows that Alan Jacoby is joining us today as guest hosting duties. Thank God, because I had to do it by myself on Tuesday. Also coming in for this segment, author and attorney, one of our great friends, Miss Christina Bob is back as well. Christina, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Love being here. Oh, we love having you. Have you uh, cheated on us with Drinking Bros since last time we met? <laughs> Not since the last time you yeah. chastised me for it. But uh, and I will. I do want to reiterate. I've only been on that show twice. <laughs> I've been on your show like a two thousand times. Too many, right? Yeah. <laughs> Man, we're, but we're, I do like them, you and you would like them too. I'm just saying. No, I, I'm not me. saying I don't listen to them occasionally when they have a good guest on. I did listen to both of your podcasts, but we're very <laughs> sensitive here, and uh, we we can't take it. So don't ever make fun of us or hurt our feelings. Not you, just in general. I, I never would do that. I would never. Well, never Trump or Ken Buck is looking like he's hitting the retirement trail. He's joining Jen Kagan's and Mitt Romney as people who aren't running for re-election. They all seem to have one thing in common. They were never really America first. They never really lined up with Donald Trump ideologically. And I think Congress is going to be a whole lot better without him. What do you think, Christina? 
I think it's going to be a whole lot better without him. And the thing that I love about your clip that you just played, and they all say this, is they're like, oh, I'm not running for re-election because I have such high moral standards and uh, the American people have stooped so low and the Republicans have stooped so low. No, in reality, the American people have gotten involved. We recognize you're not representing us or our values and we want you out. So the reason you're not running for re-election is because you would get absolutely spanked in the primary. So uh, I, 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 but the, you know, of course they have to feign uh, what, you know, feign like they're better than everybody else or whatever, but of course. Uh, we're, we're better off without them. So I'm happy to see it. Very happy to see it. Yeah. And President Trump has had a couple of, uh, I'm sure, which will be more online goodbyes for Representative Buck is. Right. They'd gotten into it a couple of times throughout the course of the Trump administration. But, you know, it was good to see him in the Lone Star State yesterday. Uh, very well received by the crowd. It was a pretty large audience there to hear him. And, you know, we, the news cycle has spun so far out of control over the last couple of weeks, especially since the October 7th attack from Hamas into Israel. You know, it, the the mainstream media really can't pick what narrative. First, it's like, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm talking about like modern day 9-11 in regards to the attack on Israel. And then all of a sudden they're starting to like circle around and, you know, cover for all the uh, anti-Semitic protesters across the countries and at major universities. It's like, oh, we all have footings in here, so we can't really talk bad about them. We'll just make it seem like they're peaceful protesters as well when that's anything but the case. It's just pure hate. And, you know, now you have these bills that, that are no longer being ignored by the mainstream press getting up through the House and, and heading to the Senate, setting off a, a pretty big uh, showdown with Speaker Johnson and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden in the White House. So... A lot of news happening, and Donald Trump seemed to bring great commentary on just about everything and how it's related to his campaign on the trail yesterday. First thing he obviously wanted to touch on was Joe Biden's failed foreign policy and, and how they've empowered Iran getting back to Obama-era policy since Joe Biden's assumed the White House. Let's hear President Trump. When Trump handed over the reins, Iran couldn't be the big scourge of terror, which they are, because they had no money. And I told China, if you buy one barrel of oil, they were the biggest customer from Iran. You're not going to do any business with the United States. One barrel of oil, no more business with the United States. I told it to India. I told they all said, we're not going to take it. And I said, I'm going to tariff the hell out of your products that come in if we even accept them, which we're going to try not to. Everybody canceled and Iran had no money. They were broke. They would have had a deal with me no nuclear weapon. They would have had a deal with me within two weeks after the election. It was easy. And then this total incompetent guy gets in. He immediately takes off all the sanctions. He takes over. And Iran now has much more than $100 billion. They were saying 100. They have much more than that $100 billion. And it came to four when I said the $6 billion is nothing. They made the hostage deal. Five for five. I said, well, that's better than they usually do, but the five for five. You know, the Russia person that they got, he is the greatest arms dealer in history. You know that, right? He got for the basketball player that refused to stand up for the national anthem. Mm. Uh, they got the greatest arms dealer of all time. They call him the merchant of death. That's who we gave up. And so that's a tough trade. For me, that's a tough trade. But, you know, we gave five for five and then they said let me give you the bad news sir what's the bad news they also get six billion six billion dollars 
I said, what that means is that means that they're going to go around capturing people all over the place because I would never. We took out, I got 58 people back and we never paid a dime. We never paid a dime. And from rough countries, including five from North Korea. You think that was easy? We never paid a dime. We never gave them anything. So it's the most important election of your lives. And I love your state. I'll always take care of your state. Go out and vote. And we're going to make America great again. We're gonna- so under the Trump administration, after they abandoned the Iran deal, which was implemented by all the people who are running our federal government right now and while Joe Biden was vice president, Iran had gone down from, you know, being around a $50, $60 billion a year international enterprise all the way down to like less than $5 billion. Donald Trump had literally, between abandoning the Iran deal and sanctions and other things, trading with their counterparts and stealing business away from them and bringing those, you know, business opportunities back to the United States where they belonged, had brought Iran to the heels of almost an internal revolution. And now we see Iran has, they've already made over $70 billion in international revenue from oils and, and exports this year in addition to all the money Joe Biden's given them, and they're now funding essentially like one of the biggest proxy wars on the planet, you know, giving everything to Hamas and Israel and, and getting ready to back Hezbollah in Lebanon. So it's it's one of those things where you, you could just see how bad the optics have been on this. I mean, Christine, you worked in the Department of Homeland Security. You saw, you know, how this all kind of ties into our border insecurity, which we're going to talk about mm-hmm. in just a second as well. But you know, when, when you see how, like, you could imagine how bad it could have been under Joe Biden, and it's honest to godly worse. It's worse because they're intentionally trying to destroy our country, and we're all supposed to go along and pretend like it's not happening. And to your earlier point about how they don't know how to even cover the stories anymore, it's because they're completely schizophrenic. Yeah. They want to call Donald Trump and Carrie Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene anti-Semitic, and yet they are promoting Hamas and people who are actually attacking Jews and the state of Israel. And yet they're, and then they then support attacks against people who are openly pro-Israel. They're completely schizophrenic. Uh, their policies don't work. It was never about them working. It was just about having a you know nice shiny pretty ball you know thing in the media, uh, and it, it's not working. And now it's deadly. I mean, people are dying because we're pretending to have good policies, whether they're foreign or domestic, and. Uh, it, it just doesn't work. Donald Trump was a common sense solution president. His policy is actually working. He actually does want to save America. Yeah. Alan, what do you think when you saw, you know, you, you see Iran right now. I mean, they've literally brought Syria back into the international fold and, and they're communicating on a positive level with Saudi Arabia, something that hasn't been done between those, those two states in decades. It's just, you know, when you see the rise of Russia and China and how Russia is kind of the lead quarterback behind the scenes, you know, pulling all the strings of essentially anybody. Uh, now that they add once, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un has gone to Russia this year and, you know, a large delegation from Iran was in Russia last week. So, you know, when, when you start to see this really heating up and then all of our geopolitical foes kind of lining up on the sideline against us, it, it doesn't make for a recipe for success, I don't think, uh, you know, to round out the end of Joe Biden's first term next year. No, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think I'm pretty pretty right on this, that Iran has always been the world manipulators. Yep. They're very good at manipulating everyone, every nation, including us. So look at the Obama administration. Look at Joey Basement's regime now, uh, the, the, the billions of dollars that we've sent them. And 
the the terrorism that they have been funding. They hate America, but they're very good at manipulating us and we allow it to happen. But who did they, who did they not manipulate? They did not manipulate Donald J. Trump when he was president, didn't manipulate him at all. And here we're back to the manipulations, the en enrichment of, of their government. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe they even have a nuclear weapon by now. They're no, I agree. openly openly well, I, talk, or talking about in parliament how they want to annihilate in their parliament. They want to annihilate Israel by 2040, I believe. Yeah. That's openly what they want to do. I think you're exactly right, though, about them not manipulating Donald Trump. I think no. that's an important point to make. And I think the threat of Donald Trump coming back into office and taking over actually is what is preventing World War III at this moment. If Donald Trump wasn't in the picture, if he wasn't a viable American president, we'd probably already be in World War III because there's no one there to stop it. It is this uncertainty of whether Donald Trump is going to go back into the Oval Office that is preventing World War III at the moment. Agreed. Yeah, it is. And, and again, these conflicts that are happening all over the planet tie directly into our border insecurity. You know, there were many hearings this week. Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray got grilled in a Senate hearing earlier in the week where Alejandro Mayorkas could not confirm whether or not legitimate terrorists that they haven't apprehended have crossed our border. And, you know, to the over a million gotaways that have happened in the last couple of years. In addition, Christopher Ray said he wouldn't be shocked as the head of one of our largest intelligence agencies if a Hamas or Hezbollah sponsored terrorist act happened within the United States soon. And then you have, you know, Anthony Blinken, who was grilled the next day, and, and he couldn't confirm whether or not all of this aid we're sending over to the Palestinians in Gaza every year isn't being used or wasn't used directly in attacks on Israel, including the October 7th one. So Donald Trump is going to hit it hard on the border. Let's hear this one. Did such a good job in the border that when I was running, running, and we got millions of more votes, so I'm not blaming the border for it. But I kept saying, I want to talk about the border. They say, nobody has any interest in the border, sir, because you've got that thing in such good shape. We had the lowest numbers in the history of our country, including drug numbers, including, including human trafficking, which is mostly in women, by the way. It's mostly in women. We had the lowest human trafficking numbers in recorded history. We had the lowest drug. We were down 18, 19, 20 percent which frankly is good, but it's not nearly good enough. But if you want to really make it down to nothing, give the death penalty to drug dealers. I just don't know if I just don't know if our country is, you know, every drug dealer kills on average 500 people and destroys many families. The death penalty to drug dealers would stop that if it was meaningful, would stop that immediately. When I was in China, I said to President Xi, who I told you before, COVID. I had a great relationship. We really liked each. I got along with all the tough ones, you know, the weak ones I didn't get along with. I don't know what the hell. There's a personality disorder, I guess, right? No, the tough ones. I get along with, I got along with all the tough ones. I better not bring up the names because then they'll say, he liked so-and-so or this one. But we stopped the nuclear war with North Korea, I can tell you that, because he was ready. He was ready. If you would have had crooked Hillary, or now I call her beautiful because I moved crooked over to Biden. But if you would have had Hillary Clinton, you would have had a nuclear war. If, if there was a way of extending Obama, which fortunately there wasn't, you would have had a nuclear war with North Korea. So what happens is the border was so good and so strong, I couldn't talk about it. And I'd talk about, ladies and gentlemen, the border, the border, and they're going like falling asleep on me, right? Today they don't fall asleep. Today they give us standing ovations because we have to do it again. But we had the border to the lowest point. I couldn't talk about it. 
You know, and it's just starting to uh, come out into the news cycle, but over the course of the last week, uh, I was reading on X, formerly Twitter, this morning that the highest-ranking general in the Afghan army under the government that was propped up by the United States and his immediate surrogate, who's also a top-ranking general from Afghanistan, were both apprehended and found out while trying to claim fake asylum this week here in the United States. Does that surprise anybody? I mean... (laughs) The story that I heard, you're actually going to think this is ridiculous. So they were completely processed, apparently. And, of course, they lie about everything, all their biographical information. And they're in detainment. And someone who was working in, like, a support role in one of these holding facilities... Said, I did my report in college on the Afghan government, and I swear to God... That guy was the highest ranking general. And, and long story short, they wound up doing an investigation and found out it was him. And then he told on his friend that he came with. Oh, imagine? my gosh. I thought you were going to say somebody recognized him. No, uh, no, he, oh, d- he did. Crazier. Yeah. One of the people that was doing like a mission support role recognized him, said, well, while I was in college, I did a report on the Afghan government. I know who that guy is. And they're like, well, he came up all zeros on all of our checks. And uh, they wound up doing a more thorough investigation and found out that it was this guy. So now he was coming in. He would have been released into the wind, and he was, like, the highest four-star general in Afghanistan for, like, years. Roan, these are just innocent women and children who need to make a better life. I don't know why you would make <laughs> I was told I was told like they were that. doctors, lawyers, and engineers who were going to come and fill the roles that Americans don't want to do. They're they escaping are. poverty and the effects of climate change. I don't know if you guys right. are aware of that. Right. Oh. They're just looking for a better life. They, they need the freedom to express themselves. I thought it was fantastic this week uh, during that hearing with all 100 Americans that he wouldn't admit that he's pulling people from different units that are working on really high profile special cases to pass out pre-prepared sandwiches and Capri Suns down the border. <laughs> he looks so embarrassed when they kept asking him. He's like, we have multiple whistleblowers from multiple ag- agencies. This is Senator Josh Hawley. He's like, are you going to sit here and tell me that they're not passing out Capri Suns? And he's just like, uh, well, um, I don't know of those specific cases. And I'm just like, this guy is an absolute Josh joke. Hawley has been on fire. Like, I I haven't been the biggest Josh Hawley fan, but I got to say, this cycle, I don't know who, if he changed up his staff or who's prepping him for these hearings, but he is on fire. I noticed that his staff is a lot younger than it has been in years past, and I think those guys are more dialed into, like, what's go. They, they see what people crap on other people for on social media, and they try yeah. to... I mean, when it comes to, like, big tech and AI, he's been great. And then, obviously, border security and all the surrogates in the Biden regime, he's been hammering them as well. Yeah. Um, You know, I think one of the things that's been awesome about Donald Trump's campaign is at no point at all, even when people were starting to have doubts on him back in winter of 2022, all all the the fakers after the midterm elections, the real, you know, who's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to see other people get in the race and make Donald Trump better. You know, all those people. Donald Trump has never been on the defensive as far as any of that goes. He has gone out and, and he stayed on message. The beginning of his campaign was heavy on Agenda 45. Over the course of that winter and into this year, you know, he just released all the things on, in Agenda 47 that he continues to add to on a week-by-week basis. And they've never really been in any kind of a prevent-defense platform. Let's hear him kind of weigh in on that angle of his campaign so far. The only thing that could defeat us now is if we play prevent defense, like in the NFL, right? You know what prevent defense is, right? You're winning, you're stopping the other team, they're not gaining on you at all. 
You only have to hold them one more time. They have zero points one more time. And the coach says, let's go prevent. And they lose the game. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. We're not going to play prevent defense at all, at all. Because this is, this is make or break. I really believe our country uh, is at, I believe, the lowest point it's ever been. I think when you look at what's happening outside, when you look at all of these big, unbelievable, large groups of people screaming things that you can't believe are being stated inside the bounds of our country, when you look at what's happening. So I said it with 2016. I said, this is the biggest election in the history of our country. And then we did a great job. And I didn't view 2020 that way because the country was on a good path. We had the strongest border in history. We had oil going every which direction. We were doing so well. We had the strong, we built the strongest economy in history. And we had no inflation. We had no inflation. Think of it. We had the strongest economy in history. We had the strongest border in history. We had everything was perfect, right? We were respected all over the world. They didn't know what to make of me, but they had a hard time with me. But we were respected all over the world. We were respected. Somebody said, you were feared. I said, well, that's even better, to be honest with you. But we were respected at a minimum. At a minimum, we were feared, too. You know, you're, you've alluded to that a little bit ago, Christine. I think it's good that he not only acknowledges it, but presents it as part of his speech platform, because it's one thing that I think Americans are really seeing lacking in our uh, government officials. And I'm not just talking about Joe Biden. Him and Kamala Harris are like gimmies. They're empty suits. They're obviously controlled by handlers. Kamala's got a worse speechwriter than Joe Biden does. But when you talk about these long-term government officials, the Susan Rice, John Kerry, Sullivan, uh, Tony Blinken, Austin, and, and all of them. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous to see the, the way they present themselves on, on the world stage and, and the ineffectiveness they've had in communicating with any of the leaders, even the ones that, like, you go to some of these third-world countries in the Mideast, and, and you know these guys behind closed doors are just coming with their hands out, please aid anything. Just like, you know, we want the photo op with the United States, and mm-hmm. you've got Jordan and Egypt canceling on Tony Blinken. It's like, nah, I don't want Joe Biden to come and fall down the stairs in my country. MBS left Tony Blinken on the tarmac in uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, uh, Senator Tuberville was able to confirm on our Tuesday edition of the show for eight hours before he told him to kick rocks and get out of there. And then, you know, Joe Biden goes over there, and, and they've had a 9-11 level tragedy there in the last 30 days. And Joe Biden's like, yeah, we should definitely, like, uh, start talking about negotiations and, and ceasefires when he sent a quarter of a trillion dollars over to Ukraine to do the exact opposite. Right. <laughs> I, it's hard for me. Obviously, I think we would all probably agree um, without necessarily knowing the direct ties that there are. There are other forces at work than sure. what are apparent in this country. Somebody's pulling strings. Someone's manipulating the money. Someone else is calling shots. It's not Joe Biden. What I I haven't really made up my mind on yet. I'm not sure how I, how I think about it. But the Blinkens and the Mallorcas and the Rays and all of those guys in the, the Merrick Garlands uh, of this administration, are they aware of what's going on? Are they intentionally furthering uh, the downfall of America, do they have some stake in this? Or are they truly just power-hungry uh, idiots who are willing to sacrifice our country for, you know, a couple years of their own fame and fortune? Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But, you know, not everybody in the Biden administration is complicit with this intentional takedown of the right. United States. It's hard to 
it's hard to figure out who's who, you know? No, it's it's the truth. And when you look at some of the other players behind the scenes, Victoria Newland, Valerie Jarrett, uh, you've got like uh, Lisa Monaco over the Department of These people have been slithering their way through the government and now have moved themselves up to like they are 1A behind the cabinet level positions or, you know, Senate appointed positions in the United States. And they have longstanding track records of, of releasing disinformation through the media, causing color revolutions and affecting elections in countries all over the world, and, and are all directly tied to the Obamas, who are still the only family in the last 100 years to remain in the Washington, D.C. area for a majority of their time since leaving public right. office. You know, and they keep no logs there. All the mainstream media stays away from their house, so you can't see who's coming and going, but there's always cars coming and going. You know, and it's just one of those things where you have to take into consideration these are, you know, some of the darkest actors that have ever graced our country with death and destruction. And now they've got someone who just can't fill the role of, like, pretend president at the head right. of this thing. And it's just, it's been a recipe for disaster. I do kind of want to stick in this thread real quick, though, before we segue to the end. Because, you know, when he talked about playing prevent defense and, and just not taking his foot off the gas, one of the biggest things about it was, besides assigning some nicknames and, and sh you know, sharing some memes on his social media, President Trump hasn't given any kind of acknowledgement or notice to anyone in the fake primary field below him. But you have seen Ron DeSantis out over at least the last 48 hours really hitting the mainstream media and, and all the great places like CNN and, and MSNBC crying about Donald Trump. I did play uh, pick one clip out that what I thought was goodish, and uh, I want you guys to hear it. Check it out. Uh, do you think uh, any candidate that's afraid to debate uh, his opponents in a primary should be president of the United States? We are not going to win as Republicans, Joe, by adopting the strategy that Biden did, uh, being in the basement during the 2020 campaign. That's effectively what Donald Trump's doing. He is refusing to debate. We've got a lot of issues that this country is facing right now. It requires steady, focused, strong leadership. you got to be able to defend your record, and you got to be able to articulate how you're going to take the country in a better direction. And so my uh, view about why you should debate, I mean, look, I want to fight for people. You know, and Donald Trump is perceived by Republicans as a fighter, but I also want to win for people. And that oh. means winning elections, but also oh. means winning on these policy fights. Uh, Donald Trump even now is saying that the um, his famous promise to build the wall and have Mexico pay for it, that he never intended to do it because oh. he said that Mexico, oh. there was no mechanism oh. to do it. You actually could have taxed the remittances, and that's what I would do. Uh, but we need a lead to lead forward. you got to have a unifying vision. So he should do it. But I would note this. I mean, you, you mentioned some of the... Ever since I ran, there's always the, the narratives. Trump is spending massive amounts of money attacking oh. me in oh. Iowa. Oh. Uh, he's had to go campaign in Iowa. So if he's saying he's so far up, he doesn't need to debate. That is belied by their activity on the ground. Asshole. You know, it's funny because just in the last five days, Donald Trump has been in New Jersey, Florida, New York City, Nevada, Iowa, Colorado, and now Texas. And for him to say that he's campaigning from the basement is just absolutely laughable. He would go on in another segment on another show on MSNBC yesterday, and, and I believe on Eric Bowling's show last night as well, and say if Donald Trump is convicted of any crime, he should not be allowed to participate in the general election. Ron DeSantis is an idiot. Like, he's an absolute idiot. It's like he, he had a golden opportunity and just 
squandered it worse than anybody I have ever seen in my life. I mean, talk about falling from grace. Ron DeSantis is done. I don't mean done in this presidential race. I mean, his political career is over. He will never hold public office again. I've heard a few people say, oh, he just needs to sit out a couple of elections. Mm, Nope. He's, he's done. He's never coming back. I hope uh, he liked being a lawyer because he's going to have to go back and hang his shingle up somewhere because he ain't he ain't cutting it in politics. That's for sure. Alan, I know you're a huge fan of the Florida governor. <laughs> Puss in boots. No, <laughs> no, he is uh, like Christina just said, it, it's over for him. And every time Donald Trump is behind a podium, which is quite often, uh, he's uh, proving, proving to the American people what his policies were what his policies are, how they worked, how they will work again, how he'll make America great again. Why Ron DeSantis gets really bad advice for some from some really, really bad people. And when you're tied for second in states with Nikki Haley, Oof. who's a nobody, you, you have a problem. Maybe Ron DeSantis needs to uh, hit 20 percent before Donald Trump would even consider uh, d- debating such a loser who even offered to put a boot on his head so that Donald Trump could have his teleprompter to debate. The guy is a loser. His campaign team is a loser. He's done. And uh, it's it's time to for the RNC to grow some balls and to cancel all further debates and realize who the front runner truly is and who's going to be the Republican nominee. It's over. I, I think that's right. And you make some really good points. My favorite point you made was that Ron DeSantis, who is the current governor of Florida, which is a particularly relevant state given the border issues, given everything happening, Florida has risen, you know, from the ashes of America to be a huge booming voice for conservatives. He is the governor of that state and he is tied with Nikki Haley, who hasn't held office in over eight years. I mean, that's mm, that's not good. (laughs) And you, you need listen. As a you need Florida, a, a, a Florida win to become president of the United States. Yep. Yeah. Right. Am I right there? You need Florida. You don't get Florida. Yeah. You don't win. And tr- I think Trump is kicking his ass in Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's- well, and, and I love how they want to say, oh, Trump is too scared to debate. No, 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 no. It has not. You know how confident he is. He's holding his own speech at the same place and the same time as this, you know, RNC sponsored debate in Miami. Trump is holding a rally in Miami at the same time as the GOP debate and the press pool and the spin room at the Trump uh, rally is already bigger than the RNCs. So this has nothing to do with being scared. This is that I'm going to throw down and I'm going to outshine you and there is nothing you can do about it. And that's exactly what's going to happen on Wednesday. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, this should be the last debate and then that counter-programming that Donald Trump, I'm assuming this is going to probably be the biggest rally of the uh, campaign so far. That's a that's a pretty spacious event location that they've picked. I think it's going to fare very well. I do want to play a little bit of the closeout right here, President Trump, get a little bit of that music as well. Let's check it out. So it's the most important election of your lives, and I love your state. I'll always take care of your state. Go out and vote. And we're going to make America great again. We're going to make it greater than ever before. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary.
my favorite song. <laughs> Definitely gets me in a good mood. Yeah, his walk out. I love how he's got the same branding, the same song for his intro as well as his exit. It was funny. They had that Halloween party at Mar-a-Lago and people were asking me, like, there was like a blurry picture online. Donald Trump was behind a computer on the patio there sitting at his table. And they're like, I wonder what he's doing. I was like, I took one look at him. He's DJing. Of course, (laughs) course that's that's what he likes to do. But yeah. uh, no, it, it was awesome, and uh, I think he's he's doing fantastic right now. We're getting ready for that huge rally this weekend. We'll probably see a speaking event or two in between. Christina, it was great having you jump in with us right now. Uh, we're going to be segueing to, to hanging out uh, with Dr. Ben Carson, who's coming back again on the heels of a big weekend where he lended President Trump his endorsement. We're going to live link your book, as always, in the show description today, and of course, the Trump campaign. But if there's anything else or anywhere else people can follow you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christina underscore Bob truth, Christina Bob and Christina Bob.com is my website. Please get involved. Check out your local elections, get involved in a group there. Let's secure 2024. Absolutely. Fantastic. As you always are. When you come and join us on the show, this is author, attorney, great friend. She doesn't really cheat on us. She loves us the most. Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on the show. Thanks guys. All right. We're going to be jumping in with Dr. Ben Carson right now, but before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today is author, neurosurgeon, former director of HUD. He now heads the American Cornerstone Institute. Really excited to be sitting down again with Dr. Ben Carson. Doctor, thank you for joining us on the show. Always good to be with you. Thanks. Man, we had such a great conversation with you a little over a month ago, but since then, so much stuff has happened. I mean, I think you even alluded to how busy the news cycle's been and how it's hard to even kind of start to digest stuff before something new started. And we've had so much, especially on an international level, when you talk about what happened with the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th, you know, it's uh, really kind of pays homage to the Biden administration's failed foreign policy on so many different levels. But as someone, you know, you worked in the government for in the Trump administration, Dr. Carson, and, and you kind of see how this stuff is, is going in real time. I think in addition to like the lack of actual leadership we have, up in Washington, D.C. right now, in addition to policy failures, it kind of spelled for a recipe for disaster, which kind of unfolded on October 7th. What do you think? Well, there's no question that our policies uh, encourage aggression on behalf of uh, some of our enemies. And uh, this is probably just the beginning of that cycle. I was in Europe last month and just listening to the comments of so many people there who said that our leadership is a laughing stock and that they're terrified because if we go down who's going to stabilize the world and who's going to protect them so they're they're not too happy about what's going on but uh you know this has been going on for decades for centuries for millennia 
uh, since the time of uh, Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying to do reasonable things. And, you know, I would, if I were the leadership in, in Israel right now, you know, facing all the criticism uh, for the collateral damage to citizens, I would say we are open to suggestions. What would you do in order to preserve your nation and your people in a situation when you have people right next door who have sworn to obliterate you? Yeah, it's just absolutely wild, you know, and then you see the Biden administration. We reminded our listenership that in the, in the wake of 9-11, regardless of what the eventual intelligence would prove, in the immediate and emotional aftermath of that, we, we did wind up going to two 20-year wars in two different countries, uh, you know, as part of the response to fighting international terrorism. Obviously, this was the more recent face of what international terrorism has become when Hamas attacked Israel and killed so many women, children, and civilians. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the way it's spilled over across the world and with the implementation of things like CRT and DEI, how you've seen all of these campuses, especially in the Western world, where these protests are just like a result of those policies now have transpired into like literally combating what they call hate into hate. And now it's being not just pushed on the American people, but you know, the Jewish community and, and forms of anti-Semitism we haven't seen in the streets of America in, in, in a long time, if ever. Yeah, well, you, you, you hit it right on the head. You know, our young people have been indoctrinated. It's been going on for a long time. You know, if you look in the congressional record, January 10, 1963, it talks about gaining control of the school system so you can indoctrinate the kids. So we're seeing the fruits of indoctrination that's been going on for a long time at this point that teaches them not to be patriotic, uh, not to love their country. And um, it's very easy uh, for Hamas and terrorists in general to sort of bring them over to their side. And I don't think they really think deeply about it. I'm not sure they really know much about the Holocaust and what happened there. They know the name Hitler. Right. do they actually understand what happened and why it was determined by all the world at that time that it would never happen again? And yet here we are, 70, 80 years later, right back in the same situation. Oh, I mean, you're correct. And then, Dr. Carson, I know you've probably got some great feedback on this, but when you talk about education reform all the way up through what is actually being taught in these major universities, I mean, like Ivy League schools, big anti-Semitic rallies in places like in the campuses of Columbia, Harvard, Cornell, and Yale, you know, and and then, you know, education reform on what's being given to the students in addition to the amounts that endowments have been paid to these universities, the fact that they still continue to raise their rates every year, and, and the affirmative action not only hires, but acceptances to the schools as students where people could get perfect grades for the entirety of their lives, perfect test scores for the entirety of their lives, and then not be allowed access as a brilliant person into these schools for someone who, you know, the universities consider more diverse. How, how close are we to saying it's time to strip it down all the way to the beams and, and start building it up again? Because this is just not working. Well, I, I think we're there. You know, sometimes it has to be pretty dark before people see the light. Sure. And I, I, I believe that we're there now. And I think a lot of people are actually starting to awaken and recognize that the direction of our country is horrible. 
and that the hope for the future is diminishing on a daily basis. And that if it's going to change, it's going to have to be done by we the people. You can't expect the government to change. They're not going to change themselves. Uh, but the people have to really take seriously the power that has been given them, which means voting uh, in an appropriate way. Uh, don't take it lightly. Make sure you know who those people are and what they represent. Question them. Uh, be in contact with your representatives. And then, you know, you can't accept, you know, last-minute changes in the way that people vote. You know, last time in 2020, you saw what happened. Uh, all of a sudden, last-minute uh, bureaucrats were saying, well, the signatures don't have to match. Uh, the addresses don't have to match. Uh, it doesn't really matter if a thousand came in from the same address. You know, you have to stand way across the room to observe. You can't really see what's going on. You don't have to accept that stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, I hope we've learned that lesson. Yeah, you know, when you look at I mean, it, including so many of the other things, too, like the state laws that were circumvented by either secretaries of states of governors where, you know, longstanding election laws were, were in place that were, you know, haggled over and finally voted on and put into place by the state houses and senates and then the governors just said nah it's COVID. i'm going to give myself emergency authorization power and we're just going to change it to we'll send out votes to everybody and we don't care how many they stuff in a ballot box that uh you know they could just keep coming in we're going to count every single one as legitimate it was it was a joke and i think moving forward they'll probably look for some ways to continue to gum up the gears but i think there's a lot more people like you said are finally starting to wake up to everything going on right now and and, and play a big part in that which is where I want to segue to on because I do think a lot of the American public played a huge part into how the Speaker of the House race kind of hashed out. You know, we saw uh, just such a big grassroots movement of people getting inundated with phone calls and emails from constituents in their district to say, what has worked for the last forever is not working anymore. And we want someone who's going to be more of a everyone included speaker of the house. Who's more of a, a servant leader. And, and from everything I've heard from the congressmen and women who've been coming on our show for the last couple of weeks, Dr. Carson, it seems like we're, we're getting that with Mike Johnson. I'm sure you probably tracked this pretty well. What did you think uh, as that whole situation kind of shook out? Uh, I was very pleased to see Mike Johnson uh, in that role because he's somebody who's liked by people on both ends of the spectrum. Um, and of course, they don't like him anymore because now he's got a position of power. We all know how that works. Yep. But uh, the fact that he was able to get along with everybody means that he's reasonable, means that he will actually listen to other people's opinion. He believes in the Bible verse, Proverbs eleven fourteen. it says, in the multitude of counselors is safety. And not that I'm a know-it-all. Uh, he's humble. And he's a God-fearing man. And uh, I think that's part of the puzzle. Obviously, we need the House. We need to get the Senate back. We need to get the executive branch back. And then actually do things to fix all the problems that are going on. Not to use it for revenge, but fixing part of the problem does mean examining what's happening with the administrative state and the deep state. And correcting it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize how big of a component the administrative state is and how much they have on affecting even when a sitting president can write an executive order to say, I want something done yesterday. And the administrative state said, did you say yesterday? You'll get it a couple months from now because that's the way we like to slow things down. And then I just want to stick right there real quick, Dr. Carson. You talked about winning the House and Senate back. 
A lot of people are so frustrated right now that, you know, especially on social media, I see it a lot. They said, you know, I'm all in for President Trump. Trump is the only answer. Donald Trump's going to fix everything. But as a lot of people are starting to realize with things like border security, when they pass something like H.R. 2, the 2023 Border Security Act, it's dead in the Senate on Joe Biden's desk and being enacted by Alejandro Mayorkas because of the way the balance of power is in Washington, D.C. Can you just touch on that a little bit more, how important it is in 2024 to get out and vote to retain power in the House and then win a very favorable Senate map for Republicans in addition to getting President Trump back in the White House? Right. It's essential that we have a blockade-proof uh, governor, governance in our nation so that we can get back on the right track. The left, who have been confiscated by Marxist ideology, uh, will always find a way to block it if you give them the power. And the only thing we can really do here is exclude them from power and let the, the people who actually love our country uh, who abide by our Constitution, uh, absolutely retain the power. That's the only way we're going to fix this. We won't be able to fix it if we leave them even with a modicum of power because they will find a way to use that to block everything that's done. We also need to get a lot of people to join government. That's why in American Cornerstone, we have the Executive Branch for America program which teaches you the ins and outs of the government, how the various agencies work and how they interrelate. Because a lot of people, they go into government and they're like deer caught in the headlight. Yeah. Uh, and they're like that for at least a year. Uh, and we really need to be able to hit the ground running if we're going to save this republic. As Benjamin Franklin said when he came out of that Constitution Hall, he was asked, what do we have here, sir, monarchy or republic? He said, a republic, if you can keep it, if you can keep it. And this is a big if, because we're as close to losing it right now as we ever have been. And it will, in fact, be lost if the left is allowed to do what they're trying to do, which is to use the uh, checks and balances system, correct, the justice system, to to disempower their political opponent. That's what happens in banana republics. And if we allow that to happen, it's the end of America as we know it. No, that's a great point you make right there. And when you talk about that blockade, that's not only going to make America great again, but make President Trump's job that much easier to pass policies, which are going to get this country back on the right track. It's just a large component. I mean, I know it's great to be a fan of President Trump, the, the rock star mentality and the way he gets to go on the road. And he's such a touchable candidate, which is not the case for a lot of these politicians. I mean, just look, you've got Ken Buck. Jen Keegan's and Mitt Romney on the back end of getting nasty phone calls and emails from their constituents all saying they're not running for re-election anymore because they'd much rather go work on CNN or MSNBC and just be commentators instead of having to actually do work for the American people or represent the districts or states that they're sent up to Capitol Hill for. You know, we had Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville on the show for the first time on Tuesday. And you want to talk about a man of convictions right there. Now you've got his own party attacking him, you know, on for everyone to see up on Capitol Hill, and he's just holding the line in regards to that pro-life stance that he campaigned on because he's a pro-life person. It's so non-consistent to see people actually remain who they are. I think we get a lot of that in, this, in the context of Speaker Mike Johnson as well. I don't see him try, like trying to be a rock star because he's the Speaker of the House now, and it's a breath of fresh air. I did hear you make that quote from Benjamin Franklin. I do think I saw you 
used the same quote from the podium in Sioux City recently when you were at an event. Do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? Because I know they're dying to hear about it. <laughs> well, I went to Sioux City to actually formally endorse uh, President Trump and to introduce him. Uh, as a person who actually cares about this country, you know, when you look at the people who've become president and how they've used that experience uh, to enrich themselves and to really make life very comfortable for themselves, uh, President Trump is just the opposite. He's lost money. Uh, he's brought a lot of uh, discord into uh, his family situation. Uh, it has been truly a sacrifice. He was already well-known. He's already one of the most well-known people in the world. He was already very rich. He didn't need anything. But uh, I remember in, in an interview that he did with Oprah about 30, 35 years ago, and she asked him about running for president. So obviously, she could even see the qualities way back then. And uh, he said, no, he really wouldn't want to do that unless it appeared that the country was about to go off the cliff. And uh, we certainly were about to go off the cliff in 2016. Uh, you can imagine if Hillary had won Oof. and had a chance to appoint three Supreme Court judges, we would have been already off the cliff. But uh, we've inched ever so close to it now. And I, I don't believe that we will have a chance to come back if we lose uh, next year because the, the leftists, the Marxists, will be so well entrenched at that point. Uh, and you already see the tendency of what they're trying to do, uh, using laws and manipulating things and ignoring the laws that they don't want to, to adhere to in order to get their way. And when they have more power, uh, they will just multiply their ability to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, right now they're spending a lot of their resources on going after President Trump in an attempt to try and stop him in any way, shape, or form heading into 2024. They really can't focus solely on, you know, the, the imminent destruction of this country if we remain on this path. But just as we've talked about for the last 15 minutes or so, Dr. Carson, there are definitely some bright spots. You're included in that, that we've seen along the way and, and, and just recently, which should let our listenership know that if we continue to stay focused and keep the drive on and, and move towards the ultimate goal of saving this country from the brink of its current destructional path, that we're going to be okay. But it doesn't mean that it's not time to rest right now. It's time to kind of fight. And, and you know, we have to all be in this together as, you know, much as we are when we have you on the show. We're obviously going to be live linking the American Cornerstone Institute and your social media handles in our social media today. You want to just tell our listenership a little bit about getting involved? Yes, uh, you can go to AmericanCornerstone.org, and uh, there are a variety of things there, uh, inspirational things, like My American Story, which uh, are interviews from people who came from other countries, uh, in many cases socialist or communist countries, and how they were able to come here and do extremely well, but also the warnings that they have, because they've seen what happens with these kinds of policies to a society. And uh, many of them are very concerned about it. Uh, and we have our little Patriots program on there to teach our youngsters uh, who we are as a nation. What are our values and principles? It wasn't a coincidence that we became the most powerful nation in the world in record time. It was because of the values and principles that we held dear. 
And we need to teach those to our children rather than some of the foolishness that they're being taught now. And uh, there's a cartoon series, series called My uh, Star Spangled Adventures. And uh, it, each, each episode takes a topic uh, from our history and expands on it. We have some of the most talented Hollywood uh, cartoonists. And uh, we have historians working with us like uh, Newt Gingrich. We make sure that everything is extremely accurate. And uh, our Little Patriots program has been uh, advocated for by uh, the governor of Alaska for the whole state. There are a couple of other states that are looking at it now and are very close to doing the same thing. Uh, and I think a lot of people, when people look at it, they say, wow, this must be very expensive. And it is expensive, but we get underwriters. We have fantastic Americans who understand the importance of countering the indoctrination of our children and doing it in a fun uh, way where they love the learning. So... Uh, and there are multiple other things on the website, too. You can entertain yourself for a long time. Uh, probably it'd be a lot more entertaining and educational than spending hours in front of HBO. <laughs> yeah, or just having <laughs> your kids sit there and scroll through YouTube or something. It's definitely uh, awesome. cartoons? Yeah, I mean, my kids do. So, Dr. Carson, this has been awesome sitting down with you again. We're going to wish you an early, early happy holidays. I don't know if we're going to be able to get you back before the new year. We always are hopeful of that, but we wish you continued health, success, and all the good work that you're doing. We see you here on Steak for Breakfast. You always have a platform to come and talk about our listenership right here. This has been an amazing conversation right now with the one and only Dr. Ben Carson. Thanks for joining us on the show, and have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. And when people around the world cannot discern fact from fiction because of a flood of AI-enabled mis- and disinformation. I ask, is that not existential for democracy? This is a moment of profound opportunity. The benefits of AI are immense. It could give us the power to fight the climate crisis. So they tell us one thing. I would argue they are lying to us and they actually can enforce the sanctions. They can enforce the southern border, but they're just choosing not to. Well, I, I don't know who's lying and who's not. All I can do is is look at uh, behavior, because what you do is what you believe and everything else is just cottage cheese. When I look at President Biden in terms of his international affairs, national security and his domestic policy, over the last two years and change. If it were my father, I'd take away his car keys. Much less, much less the entire country. Folks, Bidenomics is just another way of saying the American dream. All right, jumping back into the news now. And then, Alan, what do you think of Dr. Ben Carson? First time you've heard him, second time he's been on the show. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Dr. Ben Carson is amazing. And I'll be honest with you, I would not be the slight bit disappointed if I saw a Trump Carson 24 ticket. Wouldn't hate it. I mean, would not up, hate it. Up until the endorsement last weekend, we had, I think right now, my top three would be betting odds uh, in no specific order, probably Christy Nome, Tulsi Gabbard, Ben Carson, and any of those could be ranked any way, shape, or form. I just think from 
the demographics that they're probably looking at, plus what all of those candidates would bring to the table and add to the ticket. I think all of them have some kind of a dynamic. Tulsi, I'm least enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm. I probably would be a little bit more enthusiastic for Dr. Ben, just based off of, you know, how strong he's been since uh, the first Trump administration, obviously doing things to reform education and, and staying uh, up on politics and everything going on in the Beltway, and then a huge endorsement of President Trump. We need strong leaders, and, and we need people that are no-nonsense. And, you know, you could hear how wholesomely God-driven Dr. Carson is, but you know that he has kind of a no-nonsense stance on some certain things, and they are things that we are definitely lacking, uh, you know, of in the current Biden administration. I just think it's it, w- it would add, you know, a dynamic to the ticket that I didn't see coming for quite some time. 100%. I use the word dynamic. It's, um, I wouldn't say polar opposite of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, I, maybe, maybe you could say that, very aggressive, very as if this is what we have to get done. Uh, ben Carson is, is just a uh, a brilliant man, but has his convictions, is able to, like you said, put his foot down. But um, very, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that would be, I'm just, I'm all for it. Tulsi Gabbard, they get rid of her. Christy Noem, second choice, I, and she was my first. I think Ben Carson is now my first choice. Yeah, I, it'd be great to hear. And then when you hear, you know, in our last segment, obviously it was great having Christina Bob join us as well to do a little commentary with us, how strong president Trump's been on the campaign trail ahead of his huge Miami rally coming next week. Things are looking okay for them. Not so much for Joe Biden. I know you probably saw it, Alan, the other day, James Comer, who's been working diligently on the Biden impeachment inquiry committee. Um, in addition to the work that he does on oversight with Jim Jordan on judiciary and then Jason Smith, who's a little, According to Matt Gates, uh, you know, looking into the Biden crime family and starting to get receipts. Obviously, there's been that photocopy check that's been going around for two hundred thousand dollars. Biden lends and pays back loans between him and family members. It's like textbook money laundering. Then there was one for Hunter Biden to another Biden family associate, which shows in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. These are coming from places like Russia and Ukraine and China. Then there was another one from China, which just was released earlier this week uh, on the heels of their continuing investigation where James Comer sees again a loan paid out and then repaid back to the Biden family, this time for $40,000. I saw the clip broke uh, before he did some media this week, which kind of outlined where they were going and where they were at with this. So let's hear it. Remember when Joe Biden told the American people that his son didn't make any money in China? My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China? Well, not only did he lie about his son Hunter making money in China, but it also turns out that $40,000 in laundered China money landed in Joe Biden's bank account Mm. in the form of a personal check. And the Oversight Committee has it. Here's how Joe Biden benefited from his family's shady deal with CEFC, a Chinese Communist Party-linked company. It all began with a shakedown in the summer of 2017 when Hunter Biden sent a message to his CEFC associate demanding a $10 million capital payment. As Hunter Biden extorted this associate, Hunter claimed he was sitting with his father and that the Biden network would turn on his associate if he didn't pony up the money. The extortion scheme worked. Days later, $5 million flowed in from a Chinese affiliate of CEFC. Over the following three weeks, Biden family members made a series of complicated financial transactions to hide the source of the China money. Here's how that happened. First, Northern International Capital, a Chinese company associated with CEFC, wired $5 million to Hudson West 3, 
a joint venture established by Hunter Biden and a CEFC associate. Then Hudson West 3 sent $400,000 to an entity owned and controlled by Hunter Biden. Next, Hunter Biden wired $150,000 to Lion Hall Group, a company owned by James and Sarah Biden. Mm. Sarah Biden then withdrew $50,000 in cash from Lion Hall Group. Later the same day, she deposited it into her and James Biden's personal checking account. <laughs> a few days later, Sarah Biden cut a check to Joe Biden for $40,000. The memo line of the check said loan repayment. Uh. Like the payment to Joe from AmeriCorps funds, it's certainly plausible that this payment where James and Sarah used funds from China was indeed a loan payment to Joe. But even if this $40,000 check was a loan repayment from James Biden, it still shows how Joe benefited from his family cashing in on his name with money from China, no less. Without his family peddling his name and his son threatening a CEFC associate with consequences that he said Joe Biden knew about, James wouldn't have had the money to write the $40,000 check to his brother Joe. It's also worth remembering that Biden family efforts to secure millions from this Chinese company began when Joe Biden was still vice president. In taking funds sourced to a CCP-linked company that wanted to advance China's interest, Joe Biden exposed himself to future blackmail and put America's interest behind his own desire for money. Mm. <laughs> Can you believe it? Listen, if this was, if they even made up a story about this, something similar about Donald Trump, and they had no receipts. Oh, forget it. He'd be in the deepest, darkest dungeon our country ever had. It's it's amazing. It's amazing the crap that, that they're uncovering. And granted, a lot of it is, is, is being able to claim plausible deniability uh, as far as Joe Biden goes because he's so insulated like a mob boss. It's like a movie. It's like a movie. And, and nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going. This guy is not going to be held accountable. Maybe other people around him might be, uh, uh, you know, take fall on the sword for something. But Joe Biden's not going to jail. Joe Biden's not getting indicted. Joe Biden's not getting put in handcuffs. Joe Biden is not going to be impeached or convicted, rather, in the Senate if they do impeach him. It's just, it's a clown world. You know, I definitely see like a. Uh back end of Bill Clinton's second term happening as a possibility for Joe Biden where he's going to be convicted in the House and then whatever it in the Senate acquitted and then he'll be allowed to finish out his term. But this might be a definite avenue that they usher in one of those other candidates, especially somebody like California Governor Gavin Newsom, who was, you know, out there tackling Chinese kids with, with Xi Jinping this week. <laughs> Shadow campaigning in China tackling Chinese kids. It's it's wild. Listen, Joe Biden is not going to be the 2024 Democratic nominee. And I guess we'll maybe really see what happens after their uh, the Democrat National Convention in August to see who it is. But uh, I don't know. And I, I, to be honest with you, Ron, I don't know how much I agree that he would get impeached or convicted in the House because I, I don't have a lot of faith in a lot of these establishment Republicans who have been on record saying that there is not enough evidence to impeach Joe Biden. Mm. So I don't know. It's a good point. It was also interesting to see the uh, IRS coming after Eric Adams this week, New the embattled New York mayor who's ruining some of New York's historically important hotels with migrants um, after he's been bitching about wanting like $4 billion more billion more per year to house all the people that 
Governor Greg Abbott keeps dumping in his backyard. What do you think about that? It's wild, and and I think it's because he has spoken out against the Biden regime and 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 their uh, immigration policies, but also on the other side of his mouth is against closing the border. And when we use the word destroying New York, I'm going to tell you that it's beyond destroying; it is destroyed. Mm-hmm. There are massive hotels, beautiful hotels that are you know four and five thousand illegal aliens in it with their stolen scooters they're harassing businesses they're being recruited by gangs and uh, underground antifa organizations uh it, it's it's unbelievable and they're making three thousand dollars a month some of them delivering food yep. for area businesses who are bullied into hiring these people uh, new york city is um in dire straits well Big time. i saw this week there was a huge expose saying that some of the uh, MS-13, the high-ranking gang members that had made it into the United States in previous years other than this one, are now going around to these like hotels and places where they're housing migrants. They're plucking out the age-appropriate women and using them in prostitution rings where they're making ridiculous amounts of cash off of these people. Not only that, Ron, but you, you drive around the streets. I just covered this on my show the other morning. You drive around the streets of New York City during the day, and it is like old school 90s at where the prostitutes are out at night, like scantily clothed. And that that movie, um, the famous hooker movie up, uh, about the pimps, pimps up, hose down, where in Hunts Point, Bronx, where they would drive through and you would see half naked prostitutes. You're now seeing that during the day in Manhattan and nobody is stopping it. And MS-13 is going to recruit. They're going to get stronger. And for those that don't remember, Donald Trump and his crime policies were pivotal in destroying MS-13 in my area, Long Island. Uh, and he was here on Long Island while while doing that. And they're just they're just getting stronger now. And it's going to be um, they'll go dormant in the winter. You know, it's getting cold in New York. But mm-hmm. once the summer rolls around, forget about it. Yep. And it's going to be interesting. I did see Congressman Byron Donalds jumped on with Rob Schmidt last night, and he was talking about some of the things that uh, James Comer had alluded to. Let's hear him. No, we don't have access yet, but we're getting trying to get this access. Yeah. One of the th- roadblocks is, is that President Obama actually has to agree to allow access to these emails because he was the president of the United States at the time. Uh, President Obama should allow those emails, access to those emails, because the American people actually deserve to see what Robert L. Peters was actually doing in his spare time, because Robert L. Peters was not being vice president of the United States. He was being the president of Biden, Inc., which was a shakedown operation that was going across the globe. So I think it's in the interest of the American people to see what Robert Robert L. Peters was emailing back and forth with uh, Jim Biden and Hunter Biden. Pretty interesting, huh? They're talking about now they, they've been able to identify over 82,000 emails, which included four different pseudonyms that Joe Biden used as handles, including Robert L. Peters, <laughs> which is where Hunter Biden referred to him as Pedo Pete. So, you know, it, it's just wild, the stuff that was going on. And again, we've always tried to highlight the fact that whenever Barack Obama's name is dragged into this, Barack Obama knew exactly what was going on, and I don't know if this has been like the status quo in Washington D.C. for so long. And because Joe Biden's like at the end of not only his like time in politics, but his actual life, are they going to make him the sacrificial lamb, or or is this just going to be like a one-time thing where Joe Biden takes the hit eventually? And, and whether or not he receives any consequences, though, it'll set a new standard going forward that you're going to have to figure out 
even newer ways to launder money into your own family's pockets instead of just doing it the way that Joe Biden was doing it when he was the vice president and then private citizen Joe Biden as well. Yep, absolutely. It's crazy. Well, I want to remind everybody who's listening today, hopefully you enjoyed the show, action-packed with great guests. Obviously, thankful that Alan's here guest hosting with us, but whatever platform it's on, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to the show and downloading it on your devices. It really helps us out in the top 100s. Obviously, the podcasting application suggestions. Leave a five-star rating and even write a review if you choose. And then on our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. It's the only way we're going to be able to defeat the mainstream media and break through all the paywall sites. So segueing here a little bit, I know I touched on earlier when we were talking about Tommy Tuberville in our opening news segment that J.D. Vance was doing some, something similar in the U.S. Senate in regards to DOJ nominations. Uh, it it had, didn't have anything to do with abortion policy, but it definitely had something to do with Joe Biden going after his political opponents. So J.D. Vance figures, why stack the bullpen not in favor of America first when I could just hold up these nominations and we could take it to the end of Congress? Let's hear him. It takes a special amount of gall to be from Joe Biden's political party and to complain about the fentanyl crisis that is ravaging not just Ohio, but the entire country, because it is Joe Biden's border policies that have invited this fentanyl into our country at record levels. And I heard a briefing from the Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Patrol today that confirmed that very fact. Second of all, the senator said something I actually agree with, that this this whole policy that I've implemented on Department of Justice nominees is unprecedented. He mentions that we have in the past, this body before I got here, approved a number of Department of Justice nominees through unanimous consent. What the Senator from Illinois doesn't mention, Madam President, is that in that time, when these nominations sailed through unanimous consent, the Department of Justice was not thrown to, trying to throw the political rival of the President of the United States in prison. Mm. I object to this because we are living in a banana republic where the president is using his Department of Justice to go after his chief political rival, the person he will appear on the ballot with in about a year. If the Department of Justice will use these nominations for law instead of politics, I am happy to end this whole policy. But so long as the Department of Justice uses its nominations and uses its personnel to go after its political opponents from the President of the United States on down, I will object because of that, Madam President. I do object. Mm. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And, uh, you know, this does says this whole going after political opponents, not that I want to see Republicans do it when they're in power in the White House, but it does set precedents for, you know, all of eternity in American history for uh, for it to happen. You know, I think it's funny, too, that, uh, you know, when you just look at the demographics, obviously th- there are a couple, you know, Josh Hawley's done a really good job, I think, this session. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Senator Mike Lee, although I don't like his political endorsements, has voted and commentated on the right side of America first. I think he gets like the big picture, like, yeah, I want to promote my friends to improve their political stature, but at the same time, I'm not going to vote against policies just because I don't necessarily love Donald Trump. Uh, right. But when you see like Tommy Tuberville and, and J.D. Vance as two freshman senators from, you know, pretty important red states. It, it's awesome to see that they're the ones that have held the line and, and exposed, 
as we pointed out with Lindsey Graham earlier in the show, just like the lengths that they'll go to maintain their lobby groups and, and, you know, other political portfolio related interests happy and, and line their pockets and they'll march right in line with whatever Joe Biden wants to do. As long as it keeps like the, you know, the way things have always been from never changing. Absolutely. And we need more of it. We need more again uh, of people holding the line or at least, growing a backbone for those that don't really have one that are, you know, somewhat spineless, empty suits and just toe the line. Maybe they'll see, they'll get some inspiration from people actually holding the line and making great history uh, on Capitol Hill by, uh, by doing those things like the motion to vacate and, and standing true to their values and not wavering. Yeah, I'd love to see Tommy Tuberville and, and J.D. Vance in, in leadership. And if J.D. Vance decides that the Senate is where he wants to say, I think he'd make one hell of a, you know, uh, Senate Majority Leader one day as well. Sure. So while Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is now in Tel Aviv speaking at a podium with Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu and asking for what the Biden administration is now calling not a ceasefire, but a humanitarian pause. In our last audio clip of the week, let's hear... Republican House Representative Ralph Norman, who'll be joining us on our Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, tell you exactly what he thinks about Tony Blinken and that angle. Let's check it out. Republican Congressman Ralph Norman, thanks for coming in, Congressman. You all passed the Israeli aid bill last night. According to Chuck Schumer, it's not going anywhere in the Senate. The White House has said the president will veto it. What is the next step? Well, first of all, Kate, the... Tony Blinken, and as a under the Biden administration, is an insult and a uh, disgrace to America. Uh, first of all, for him to call, for him to have the audacity to say that Israel ought to uh, abate their going against Hamas that's mass- massacred all the people uh, is an insult. Secondly, uh, well, the reason he's not saying, Chuck- Congressman, just to be clear, he said very clearly that the United States stands with Israel and their need and obligation to defend themselves against Hamas. And also said they're not calling for a ceasefire, but rather they're talking about a humanitarian pause in order to get allow more hostages to come out and more aid to come in. You think that is a disgrace to America? It's a weakness that he, he that he shows, and they, this Biden administration has completely surrendered America all across the globe. Not not here in their comments, facts. But uh, that do you think as they've been is, weak in supporting uh, Chuck- Israel so far and being in, in, in? I mean, the support that I they've the offered. Administra- I mean, like. I think the Biden administration has like the hundred million that they gave a couple of weeks ago that Hamas got control of. Uh, is just a, a total disconnect with the reality so that they're going on in Israel. They just we don't. don't ha- um, we, uh, we don't have. CNN does not have reporting that a hundred million dollars of aid went to Hamas. Well, the, what the aid that did go did not go to the intended resources. The audit and the uh, tra- making sure that the aid goes to where it should is just not with this administration. But back to your comment about Chuck Schumer, it does surprise me. Uh, it's under new speakership. Mm. You know what I have to say about that CNN commentator? You are a nasty person. They usually are. <laughs> Fake news. Oh, Fake man. news. What a way to end the week. Couldn't have imagined it ending any better. Alan, 
Thanks for joining us on the show today. Obviously, we're going to be live linking everything you've got in the show description today. But I want you to tell our listenership again about the Patriot Cigar Company and then your show, MAGA Mornings, and where they could find it on your Rumble channel. Get some great cigars, mypatriotcigars.com. We have some great uh, stuff on there. The holidays are coming. Get some merch and use promo code STEAK for 25% off. Don't forget to use that promo code STEAK, 25% off. You can find my Rumble channel. Just go to 1776live.tv, MAGA mornings, 8 a.m. Eastern, Monday to Friday. Thanks for having me, Ron. I heard the group chats there get pretty spicy. They do. We have a great online live community every morning. So hop on Rumble, get in the chat. We got, we're live every morning. We got some great, great people from all over the world, actually. England, Australia, Scotland, they're all in the chat and they love Donald Trump. That's the best part. Yeah, definitely you can always listen uh, on his Rumble channel. I check it out live whenever I can, but at some point of the day, usually when I'm at the gym, I like to give a listen and uh, kind of give my afternoons making it a little bit great again, like uh, you're doing every morning there, Alan. It was great sitting down and having you on the show today. Uh, just in case our listenership is excited to hear, I'm hoping that you'll be back with us next Friday as well. But yes. aside from that, let's put a little cap on the end of what was a very busy week. Busy week. But mission accomplished. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, well, you better be downloading us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you follow the show and make sure they're downloading. In addition to that, across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming out today. Representative Bob Good, Representative Eli Crane, author and attorney Christina Bob, and of course, Dr. Ben Carson. You all helped make steak great again. Speaking of which, I know we're about to hit the weekend, but don't worry. We'll be back with our Tuesday edition of the show. Already scheduled, you'll get at the very least Congressman Ralph Norman, Congressman Andy Ogles, and Congressman Rakeen. So on behalf of the pod team, who's not with us today, we'll be back on Tuesday. I'm Roan. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And take care. The player haters ball gives us an opportunity to hate on a diverse array of mock ass mocks, trick ass mocks, punk bitches, and skip scap skanks and scallywags, hoes, heifers, hee haws, and hula hoops. Man, you ought to take that cane. And beat whoever made that suit to death. <laughs> Why don't you vacuum that coat, man? Well, well, well. The most diabolical haters this side of the Mississippi. Buck Nancy, what can I say about that suit that hasn't already been said about Afghanistan? It looks bombed out and depleted. And of course, the so called beautiful. Why don't you click your heels together three times? and go back to Africa. And as for you, boss ho, very insulting what you said about my coat. It's made out of your mother's pubic hair. Quite shitty. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go take my throne, cause I'm a shoe in for hate of the year. Oh, scissor me timbers.